remember Jordan Baker. And so we redefined our podcast since we actually got approval to keep doing it. So this is going to be pop culture. So movies, television, music, anything that involves culture, sports, it's going to be all over the place. We're going to be talking about it. Any culture stuff, we got it. Okay. So what we thought we were going to talk about today is late night television. Favorite type of television. It's the only time high schoolers really do get a chance to watch television, considering we just stay up late for no reason at all, and we like it. So, right now, the top four in late night television are, in order, Fallon, Kimmel, Colbert, and Conan. So, Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, Stephen Colbert, and Conan. O'Brien, who's on TBS, and we rarely watch, but... So, Fallon is leading the ratings, Kimmel's in second, Colbert, who's a relatively new show, now on CBS, replacing David Letterman, is in third, and Conan is dragging behind in fourth out of those guys. And the question is, do you think that one of those guys is better than the other ones. I definitely think Fallon, like, kind of just to go along with the rating, just because I've seen, I don't know, I've seen the majority of his episodes for his show, and they're always, they're always new. I don't think generally with him, there are much, there's not much repetitiveness with him, and I think that's what keeps him, keeps him in front, because you don't get the same thing over and over. It's always something new, and it's something always to look forward to when you're staying up late or you don't have anything else to do. I think a big part of the reason why Fallon is successful is that his comedy is more of a fun, I want to interact with you, especially with guests. You never see him try and like make fun of guests in the way that Leno used to make fun of guests. And... He inherited Leno's platform, but also made it available to more people who didn't really like Leno's comedy in the sense that he always tried to attack and was more of an attacker and wanted to verbally argue and make fun of people while Fallon just wants people... Like, he makes fun of himself a lot. And as good as, like, where, as, good as Leno was... Like, I think that's definitely where he dropped off, just in general, the fact that every episode of his show was a new attack on either the guest or just someone that, at the time, was easy to make fun of. And But with Fallon, like Josh said, it's very... It's, like, it's just very inviting in general. Like, you know, it's like you want to be there. You want to, like, watch him and be entertained by him. Also, um, Fallon in a different way, has kind of a youthfulness to his comedy that Leno didn't have. And maybe that's just because he is younger and was on SNL and did more kind of skit acting. But it seems that he brings more energy and wants you to laugh as much as anybody. Also, he seems to be 
seems to have the best interview on television in terms of everyone who comes on his show shares a story that no one's heard before. Because if you go through all these TV shows and you watch clips of Conan and Kimmel and you watch the same people on both shows, generally the stories will mirror each other. Like if you want to look at a Kevin Hart clip from the time he was on Conan and then a Kevin Hart clip from the time he was on Kimmel, they'll be the same story. But Fallon's stories are always different. It's just that inviting aspect that Fallon or that none of the other people have that Fallon does have. It's that inviting friendliness and it I would assume like why all the stories are different is because it's that inviting factor and it doesn't seem like this is all being recorded for like national television. It's just like talking to like an old friend. So like the people or his guests are willing to like dig deep and like share those like more personal funny stories that they might not share on like Conan or Colbert or something like that. Conan, I, re- I think the reason he's lagging behind is the other three on the, are on the main three networks, like ABC, NBC, and uh, CBS are the three big late night. And TBS isn't really in that group. I think if you look at Conan's numbers from when he was on NBC coming in after The Tonight Show behind Leno and then his brief stint on The Tonight Show... He was getting good numbers when he had the platform. It's just that he doesn't have the platform anymore. TBS just just in general by what it like puts out isn't a good network for like a late night television show because like TBS will always have like Family Guy. Yeah, Family Guy or like the movies that are like the popular movies that are always on like on repeat for TBS and there's the same thing. So it's like to drop a late night show at like. 11 or 12 that's not gonna get a lot of people because they're not because they could easily just go to watch something they're used to like Fallon Fallon also is um I love the way he interacts with the people on his show so not the guests but the people who work so Steve Higgins who's the guy behind the podium who kind of jumps in and out and also um the Roots, who are his studio band, but who also participate in a lot of the stuff he does. And I think there's a trend here, like, if you look back at uh, Dave Letterman, and he had the guy, Paul Schaefer, who was a part of the band, and he would always talk with him, and he was kind of a part of the show in the same sense that Steve Higgins is. But you look at Amir and Questlove and the guys from The Roots, they're so involved in the show that it's instead of having just one guy that you're forced to focus on for an hour-long show, you have five or six, depending on how many jump in. They're not just backups that, or they're not just, like, part of the set that are there for, like, the intro and the outro of the show, but, like, people that you would never think would, like, be, like, a huge part on a late-night television show play such a big role and do such a good job at it that that's where Fallon's appeal mainly lies. You said that Fallon isn't repetitive, and I was just wondering, like, when you say not repetitive, do you look at the interviews he gives or the bits he does or the jokes he makes? Because I find the trend with Conan 
when I watch Conan's bits on YouTube or other places, that his main comedy is sexual, and Fallon seems to be different. And I was wondering, does that play a role in, like, the comfort zone of where they want to go as a comedian is different, and so you are drawn more towards Fallon than Conan, or is it more repetitive in terms of that he doesn't do the same bits every week? Repetitive in the terms, like, you know, occasionally there'll be, like, inevitably there'll be that repeat of, like, a, the same idea for, like, a skit Fallon is doing, or, like, an interview. Like, you could have, I don't know, what to say, like, Oprah someone, like, twice, and it could generally be the same, but that's inevitable. Fallon... Like, Fallon Tate, like, Fallon doesn't stick to, like, the same comedy every single episode. His is always generally different. So I think that's where, like, the big appeal for Fallon is. Unlike uh, some, like, Saturday Night Live, who had... Saturday Night Live? I said Saturday Night Live. You said Saturday Night Live. Saturday Night Live. I probably just... But, like, who... (laughs) Who always generally does the same thing, no matter, like... It always seems the same to me, and that's where, like, kind of, it was, like, the turnoff, and, like, that it just wasn't that good after things got repeated, like, three, four, or five times. I think one of the things that make Kimmel and Fallon so good is that when they find a comedy bit, like, Fallon uses hashtags, where if you follow him on Twitter, he'll tweet out a hashtag on Wednesday night, and he wants you to respond with the hashtag back, so... One example, one time he did was a fake Jay-Z lyrics, and then he wanted you to tweet back at him fake Jay-Z lyrics with the hashtag fake Jay-Z lyrics on it so he could use those for his show. I think that kind of interaction with social media, in the same way that Kimmel does mean tweets where celebrities have to read mean tweets that are directed at them, I think those are the reason why those two guys are ahead of Conan because when I watch Conan I don't really see a lot of interaction with people outside of him and the show centered around him while Kimmel and Fallon is basically direct or making a connection with the generation that is watching I think that's like their social media aspect is what gets people coming back you know people at like that time by the end of the show it's pretty late and like people could have to do something early in the morning next day so they like they could have gone to bed but no like something got them to stay up and watch that show and I really think it's like the interaction aspect also I think a large portion of this is being able to watch these shows the next day because a lot of these shows come with apps on the phone or on the tablet where you can look up late episodes and watch those again. But with late night talk shows, unless they're funny and inter- engaging, you wouldn't take the time out of your day the next day to watch them. Mm-hmm. And, and that's like where Fallon. That's why Fallon does and Kimmel are ahead. Colbert, I think, will catch up. He's just on a relative. He's on a new show, and he's adjusting to being a different comedian. Because in his old show, it was all political satire. Yeah. While this show, he has to interview people and interact with more people in a different way. And I think that's like, honestly, I think that's where it's hurting Colbert. Because Colbert, 
in just in my opinion, is that better, like, political guy and, like, willing to, like, make fun and, like, talk about politics versus, like, sit down like Fallon and Kimball do and, like, really interview people. I think Colbert's going to get there because watching Colbert with uh, the Colbert Report and seeing the way he interacted with the studio audience there, I feel like he's a really engaging individual. It's just that, like, with every late-night show, you need time to build your fan base. And then once you build your fan base, then it gets better. And, I mean, a lot of people stopped watching CBS Late Night because Letterman left. And if Letterman hadn't left, maybe the ratings would still be the same, but at the same time, Colbert will get there. Another thing we wanted to talk about was my recent obsession over winter break went to see Creed, the new boxing movie, and I thoroughly enjoyed it enough that I went back and watched it a second time because I'm a nerd like that and I enjoy sports movies that much. And I wanted to... What did you think of Creed when you saw it? I think... Like, my first reaction was, when I first, like, heard about Creed, I was worried that it was going to be, it was just going to be another, pretty much just another Rocky movie, just an ext- a modern Rocky movie, and I was blown away by, like, what it actually was. Like, there was, yes, it had the element of Rocky, but it was a completely different movie, a different, like, take altogether, and I think Creed has definitely brought boxing movies like back onto the map all right i'm gonna put you on the spot here because this isn't on our topic sheet and you don't know that i'm gonna ask you this question but i'm biased so i'm not gonna answer this do you think michael b jordan is underrated overrated or properly rated as an actor like looking at his stuff when he did the wire fruitville station ignore the fantastic four movie because that was just a bad decision you can look at the movie with Zac Efron that I don't know the name of, but he made it and was in it. But underrated... Oh, he was also in Friday Night Lights, the TV show. Overrated, underrated, properly rated as an actor. I think as of right now, like where he could be, I think he's underrated right now. I think there's so much more potential for him as an actor and like so many more opportunities that like he deserves because he's not a bad actor by any means and I think like if he just has like the right movie and the right like cast and the right director giving him a chance he could be one of the top actors because I feel like with black actors we're always talking about this because there isn't it's a well known fact that there aren't that many big black actors in Hollywood you look at if you want me to name a couple Denzel is up there uh, Morgan Freeman has moved into like a different stage of his career, but is still big. Um, Samuel Jackson. See, the thing with Samuel, I feel like he's done too many bad movies. He's kind of he's kind of at the Nicolas Cage stage, where he kind of accepts every single role that comes across his desk. Like I personally, after seeing Coach Carter, which we're going to talk a little bit about later. 
I don't want to see him as a super spy in Marvel. I don't think that's where he belongs. He's a good actor who can play emotionally in-depth characters. He doesn't need a gun to go around and do everything. No, I think... I think that's just because you said, like, that Nicolas Cage spot in his career. I think, you know, eventually, like, every actor, like, will hit that eventually, like, um, take Brad Pitt. There was a time... World War Z. That movie was terrible. Yeah, we talked about it last time. Yeah, World War Z was, like, a perfect example. It was... World War Z came out after, like, one of his movies that he was... came in a movie, and he was really good. And World War Z... Yeah, Moneyball. He came out with Moneyball and built up Oh, Brad Pitt's back. He can play emotionally in-depth yeah. characters who actually are static and can build throughout the movie. And then he comes and plays a father with a, or like a UN official with a machine gun who just wants to go around blowing up zombies. And, and it took one step forward and two steps back. And I think that's just like a general stage when everyone thinks they're like they've made like that big push into like the major spotlight of Hollywood and they'll just start accepting any role they can get their hands on just to like put their name out there. It's like uh Dennis Dennis Quaid, he was amazing in the James Bond movies for being one of the later Bonds and then you get him in like Cowboys versus Aliens. Like I never just, saw Cowboys vs. Aliens because I think the very name of that is off-putting in every way possible. Yeah, and you get him in other like movies where he doesn't play like the role he can, but he's accepted it anyways because, you know, he just wants to put his name out there. But back with um Michael B. Jordan, I think that given what he's already produced in The Wire and Friday Night Lights and Fruitville Station and now in Creed... By the way, there's also a Creed 2 in the works already because of the success of the first one. But I think he's going to be an actor to look out for who's going to really be big. He may get up to where Denzel was in his prime with Training Day, Remember the Titans, and other things. But um, another question I had about Creed to you is, is the boxing movie becoming cliché? Because we've seen Southpaw, we've seen the movie with Mark Wahlberg, The Fighter. We saw Warriors, which was about the two brothers who ended up fighting each other. Is the boxing movie becoming outdated? A boxing movie, I personally don't think can be very outdated. I don't think it'll ever really become outdated because just of the the different aspects, like to boxing itself, you have so many different leagues that are big, so many, like, different pe- like different backgrounds that people come from. So you could make a boxing movie just out of... A, make a good boxing movie out of, like, some someone who comes from, like, a small city, like, dead, who doesn't do anything, and then they get into, like, a boxing ring, and it's like they're... Like, they've found their place where they rightfully belong, and I think unlike baseball movies and football movies which have been done over and over and over and over and over again boxing will never get old because there's so many different possibilities and and it'll be a different idea each time when you follow I'm going to uh, go the other way opposite of you because I think that boxing movies are becoming cliche in the sense that it's the same movie every time where there's a troubled youth 
who's looking for an escape where he can just beat something. Like, if you look at the opening credits of every movie, it's one dude getting punched around in the street and thinking, oh, I'm never going to make it. He meets some old trainer at a, at a gym or at a food place or wherever, and they bond, and then they train, and then he eventually wins the chip. The thing that was so good about the Rocky movies, and this is a spoiler alert, but if you haven't seen the Rocky movies, they've been out since, like, 1973. So... This isn't really a spoiler alert since it's been 20, 35 years, more, 45 years, no, 43 years. Hey, we got there. But um, they didn't, he didn't win the first time. And I think that's what made that movie good was the fact that he didn't win the first time. And so you had a reason to watch Rocky 2. And you had a reason to watch Rocky 3. And with Creed... Do we have a reason to watch Creed 2? Eh, not really. Like, I, Michael B. Jordan fans, I will go see Creed 2 because I love Michael B. Jordan. I think he's an amazing actor. But casual fans may not. And I think the reason that other sports movies like basketball movies and football movies can become better than boxing movies is the fact that there are so many different avenues you can go with the plot because... A boxing movie, it's one fight. With a football movie, it's a season, or it's the playoffs. Basketball movie, same thing. There's a season. And a season means time. And time is essential in movies because that's when characters can evolve, and that's when plot lines can change. When you only have one fight, it's very hard for that plot line to change. I don't think it's like your thing about boxing movies becoming cliche. I don't think it's any different from like a typical football movie when you either have that coach that was so good early in his life and he lost like a big game retired and like you know the team he coached for is doing awful now and they need him to come back to like for them to win the championship again and I think you know not all movies follow that but that's like a very popular avenue for like football movies to go down through or like foot or baseball movies when you have some kid from uh like the Dominican Republic or Costa Rica or some movie like that when he like plays baseball with his friends and like there's like happened to be there happens to be a scout there on like vacation and they see this kid playing and they bring him to America. I think it's no different than that, so I don't think it's the same because if you look at all the baseball movies that have come out, let's just moneyball which was a movie from inside an actual organization about putting the team together. 42, the story of the great Jackie Robinson who integrated baseball. I think those are iconic movies because you can like take a real-life event and dramatize it. There's no real-life event in boxing that you can dramatize like that. Maybe you could do it with Ali's rise, but... All of these guys ended up losing. I mean, I'm sure you don't want to make a boxing film about Floyd Mayweather with all of his personal issues that go on. I mean, he's a great boxer, but he's been charged with domestic violence three or four times now. And so the reason that you can make these movies about football and baseball is because that the players that can make those movies 
are so much more emotionally in depth than boxers because boxers a lot of the reason that they're boxing is because they have pent up aggression built up inside them and that makes for a very like you see the same character every single movie because you wouldn't be boxing if you didn't have anger with baseball you could be playing for your family you could be playing for anger you could be playing for a whole lot of things so that gives more room for a character to develop I just think like I just think just in general eventually you know you can only produce so many of like the general same same movie before like a company is forced to do something that's abstract and like that might not even be appealing to to a general audience so I think you know for the time being baseball baseball any sports movie will will have only has so many more aspects they can try to integrate into their movies before they all start coming becoming like cliches and getting repetitive another movie that I went and saw over break that I'm sure you have an opinion on is Concussion with Will Smith highly advertised and I was a little bit underwhelmed by this movie I thought with the movie Spotlight, which came out earlier, which was kind of along the same lines of journalistic investigation, except this was scientific investigation, that it would be take more of a stance, and it didn't really seem to do that. And Will Smith was talking like this the entire movie. I think from a football movie, because it was talking about the NFL in great detail and about the whole issue of concussions, I think that movie did justice to what was actually happening to when they first discovered the issue of concussions. Because concussions and the effects, that's a relatively new issue that people are like trying to combat, be like trying to combat in great, great efforts. And like the NFL has spent millions of dollars on research to like help their players. But when this issue first came out, it could have shut the NFL down, and I think how Will Smith, Will Smith's character presented when he was talking like this. Exactly when he presented <laughs> his presented the issue of concussion for the first time, it was a real fear of the NFL that they might get disbanded because of this issue and how big of a risk it was. But yes, people like realize the risk of like broken bones and stuff like that going in, but when you think of something that could like give you amnesia or a, you take one bad hit and you're paralyzed from the like head down. I think that's a very, not only like a scary thing for the players, but for like the owner, owner of teams, the, um, and Roger Goodell. And I think just in any sport, it's a big that's issue. That's the reason why I thought there'd be more in it because originally when concussions were first discovered, part of the film is the fact that the NFL also spent millions of dollars in the same way that tobacco companies spent when cigarette research was first being done. Deny, deny, deny. And there wasn't so much in there. Like, the tra- if you watch the trailer and you go watch the actual movie, the trailer seems like, oh, the NFL went after this dude. He was being followed. He was watching, going around corners, like, looking back, checking to make sure he wasn't going to get jumped. And then you watch the actual film, and it was like, 
yeah, the NFL went after us, but then they worked with us, and now we're all buddy, buddy, buddy. And I think that's a lie because the, re- the NFL originally sued, like put the doctor in court and said, this isn't true, you're making up lies, and spent millions of dollars trying to shut this science down. And I think that's a big part of the story that needs to be told versus just saying, taking the Hollywood way out, which is, oh, now the NFL is really good because we need them to advertise this movie. And a big part of that was the NFL wouldn't advertise this movie if it went after the NFL that hard. Rightfully so. If if there's a movie about you being a jerk to someone, would you want to advertise it? No. But at the same time, that needs to be told whether or not advertising plays a part in that. I think, just from what you said about like how the NFL denied, 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 just like the trailer, just like Will Smith's assistant said, when you own it, how can you go up against someone that owns a day of the week? With someone with that much power and so so many people have invested like money into like merchandise from teams and like people have given up their lives to like coach these to coach these people and i think you know the fear that 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 big of an issue is being ignored like and they could possibly be either fined a whole lot of money or they could be disbanded completely that's where that like fear factor comes in and that's where I think the movie was trying to go unsuccessfully but like go and say oh they were going after this doctor originally and they did everything they could to get this science either revoked or get the doctor to stop researching it altogether. I think that's a big but that's what the missing key to this movie is mm-hmm. and it was it's still a good movie i would recommend people go watch it because what it's saying is very important especially like young kids should go watch it or even kids in our grade who are thinking about playing football should go watch it and see what it does and see if this is really a worthwhile thing but there's a whole missing part to the story which i didn't like which is why it's not going to be in this next conversation, which since we were talking about creating concussion and we were looking at this and thinking of how good was it and would we recommend seeing it again, it's time for our best sports movies in recent memory, recent memory being since 2000. Even though I don't remember the year 2000, that's where we're going from. And the requirements for this were... You had to want to watch it more than three times. And also, you have to have felt some kind of deep emotion that every sports fan feels when they hear one of these coaches giving a moving speech or a player going on an an inspirational dialogue. You have to have felt emotion during one of those. So, the list as constitutes, we have six films that made it, 42 the story of Jackie Robinson, which came out in 2010. No, not 2010. It was more recent than that. But from just the story, you know, everyone knows the story of 
number 42, how he was the very first player to integrate into a baseball team. And that, like the, uh, the MLB, when it was first created, you know, when they were even hiring, uh, like, black people to work for either the team, they weren't anything more than, like, janitors. And for Jackie Robinson to push as hard as he did to actually get on the team, I think just the, watching his whole fight, you know, he he could have done he could have easily given up, but just his determination to get on the team and to become one of the top baseball players in the history of the MLB, you know, just the movie in general, there's no one part that you can pin as oh that's the emotional part. I just think you can feel his determination, you can feel like the sacrifice, you can feel like the you can feel all the animosity and every other emotion that this movie expresses. This movie was big for me just because I, growing up, wasn't a big baseball fan. And just looking at the history of the sport and seeing what he had to go through was big. And you talk about the emotional piece. I thought the emotional piece was throughout the entire film, which was what made it a very good film. He was constantly teetering on the edge of, do I really want to do this? And I think the iconic moment in that film is when one of the white players who plays for the Brooklyn Dodgers, which was where Jackie Robinson started, goes in the office of the owner and says, Sir, I don't think I can play in Cincinnati, which is his hometown, because he got a sheet of hate mail. And it said he's going to be like killed and his family's going to be killed. And the owner starts laughing, and the player's like, Why are you laughing? And he opens up a drawer and pulls out seven files that thick and throws them on the desk. The player's like, what is this? And he's like, this is the hate mail Jackie gets on a daily basis. And just seeing that scene made me realize what this guy had to go through. And the amount of personal and character strength that it takes to go through that and come out the other side made it the most inspirational part of that film. The next movie on the list is Moneyball. The one we talked about, Brad Pitt. He plays manager of the Oakland Athletics, Billy Bean. At the beginning of the film, he is gutted. All of his top players leave for bigger teams with bigger budgets. He has to assemble a team of misfit toys and he does it using a computer nerd played by Jonah Hill who went to Yale and got an economics degree and this kind of group of two misfits put together a group of bigger misfits and they go on an amazing run and set the record for most consecutive wins in a regular season and I think that movie also is inspirational just from the same perspective of misfits coming together and creating something special and I just think you know just that idea of like two people coming together I think that's how just how teams started in general like they're people who want to invest their time to produce a winning franchise and I think that's maybe not all of it is exactly how it's portrayed but I bet it's pretty close to see that 
two people come together, get a bunch of players practically off the streets, and they put together a winning team. And I think just the just the emotion of the fact that there's such that fear that the people you're bringing in will fail you and pretty much you'll end up, like, wasting your time. I think that was, like, the emotion, even though generally in that movie it wasn't expressed a lot. You could just go the next movie on our great list is The Blind Side. And everyone knows the story of Michael Orr and how he comes to be one of the greatest tackles that have ever been on a football field before and his story growing up and facing all of being homeless and sleeping in sleeping in a high school gym and that fear that he that fear of just living on the streets and being brought in to a southern family that has probably never interacted that much with a different a person of a different race before and see how they embraced him so much and supported him throughout his life and continue to support him to this very day and I think you gave Michael Orr a better introduction than he would ever give himself jeez that was wonderful made me cry a little bit well Michael Orr I think the big emotional piece of this was just not having going from not having a family to having a family and that resonates a lot with people because they look at their own life and say where would I be? Would I be like him without my family? And then also you look back and see how much your family does for you and compare it to him. And I think that emotional piece is what made that film so great. The next film on the list, one of our favorite actors, Denzel Washington. Remember the Titans. Greatest movie you will ever watch that has to do with sports. Disclaimer. The reason, the actual reason we started this list in 2000 is because we wanted to get this movie on the list. And this movie came out in 2000, and it is, I'm going to say Rocky and this are back-to-back for the greatest sports film in the books. And Denzel's performance in this movie is iconic, But I also think it's the smaller guys who you don't know the name of that really drive this film. Because there's the white quarterback and then the linebacker and then the the black linebacker. And the school's just becoming integrated. The football team's just becoming integrated. How do those two interact? Because one's captain of the offense, one's captain of the defense. And that was a great choice by the film director because these guys are going head-to-head in everything. White versus black. Offense versus defense. Both are captains. Both are leaders on their side. How are they going to interact? And by the end of the movie, they're best friends. And I think that's also what makes this movie great. You know, it's that whole notion that, you know, no matter who you are, as soon as, like, you get on a sport, just any sports team in general, no matter what your views are in the world, like, you'll leave, like, at the end of that season, it'll be, like, the worst time, because, like, you're leaving, like, the be- your best friends. You're and leaving a family. You're, you are leaving a family, and this movie hit, hit the nail on the head with that one. They did a perfect job of showing that at the time, you know, how difficult it was for, like, white people to accept the idea of integration and for black people to 
get used to the idea that the people that practically hated them so much will be like their fellow classmates and like their peers and their and as the movie highlights their teammates and I think it also does a good job of showing that like the whole idea that no one is born to hate other people. Our next movie comes from Texas and in another be- good football movie. We related we already talked about this when it was made into the TV show with Michael B. Jordan and the book which we're reading some of people are reading in our English classes right now. But Friday Night Lights, the story of high school football in Texas. I think watching this film made me at the same time of I've never wanted to play football, but it seemed so inspiring that anyone wanted to play football because the community revolved around football and everyone wanted to be a part of it and just the emotional kind of connection between people in the stands, people in the town and the team made this movie worth watching. You have you have so many like different sports that are like highlighted in different states but in Texas it will always 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 be football and that movie for like showing a small town it could have been a large town that they were showing and it would have I, I think it would have carried the same message of just how integrated football was they they uh, ate slept breathed football and that is just how Texas is as a community and I bet for kids watching that when they were younger they like they wanted to get out on a football field and experience that community for themselves no matter how much their parents didn't want them to play or it was just an inspiration to kids no matter how old you are I think I think also that um on your point I was watching a documentary called the pony except express or excess I forget what it's called but it's a 30 for 30 about SMU football and which is located in Texas and the open Part of the opening is all these different journalists, cut to cut to cut, always saying, football in Texas is religion. It's in order. Football, family, job, religion. And that kind of attitude and that togetherness made that film feel real. List is Coach Carter. And one of your favorite black actors, not really one of mine, but Samuel Jackson plays a coach at a, at a local area high school located in the inner city. He's uptight, wears suits. Son, wears suits. They come from a very well-off black family. And he goes and takes this job at a local high school and tries to change the culture. And his son transfers there. And you see this father-son interaction. And you see the coach-son interaction. Which has always been interesting to me. Because father-son, you are emotionally connected. You're emotionally bonded. You care for one each other deeply. But the coach-son interaction is always tough. And seeing Samuel L. Jackson play that was very like interesting to look at. I think from, like, the coach-son interaction when your father is the coach of a sports team, I think that is one of the hardest things to portray in a movie just because of how 
it can honestly go any other way or either way. You could either have a son who supports his dad so much that he'll do anything he asks for the team, or you could have a son that doesn't think his dad is doing a good job and and he vents to the team about it, but he won't vent to his dad because he doesn't want to like offend his dad, someone who's look he looks up to. And I think this movie was a step in the right direction for highlighting that father-son interaction when the father is the coach. But also on the coach-son interaction, there it's not just him and his actual son. He then becomes the leader of that team and becomes the father figure for that team. Because throughout the movie, they point out the different lives of all these players because it's an inner-city school. A lot of them don't have fathers, or they don't have stable family situations. One kid already, or one of the players already has a family that he has to take care of. So it's interesting watching him interact with all these young kids, and at the beginning, they think he's a joke. And at the end, they're in it together. So that is it for this edition of the Josh and Jordan podcast. We made it to iTunes, so subscribe on iTunes, rate our podcast, find it on SoundCloud too, and we'll be back next Wednesday. Also, look out for a special edition with me and Hannah Mae breaking down How I Met Your Mother and all the wonderfully wrong things about that ending. <laughs>